For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. So just as the football returns after a Premier League week off, it goes away again, and with a good number of City's players off on international duty. But what better way to head into the international break than with a comfortable 3-0 win at Wolves and a Blue Moon podcast to look back on it all? Actually, don't answer that question, it was rhetorical. Welcome to this week's show. We'll take a look back over that victory at Molyneux and with a particular focus on Jack Grealish. He's been the centre of attention lately, and with a goal inside a minute at the weekend, he finished the game looking like a weight had been lifted from his shoulders. We'll get into that shortly, plus we'll hear from the man who almost brokered the deal to get Pep Guardiola to City years before it actually happened. Football agent Tony Sharkey will be on the programme telling us about the time he was looking for a team for the veteran midfielder to finish his career at and why City wasn't the right fit in the end. All of that to come, so let's get going. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And from StatCity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. Um, Chris, let's uh, let's start with uh, the the game at, uh, at Molyneux because uh, basically my my reaction to it is a great result, perhaps not the uh, the best performance, um, possibly made easier with a fast start. Um, what do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely agree that it was made easier with um, a fast a fast start that settles the nerves, um, takes the pressure off, puts the pressure more so onto Wolves to come out and attack us. Um, Weirdly, though, the game was made harder by them losing a player. That seemed to knock us out of our shadows. It Joe Royal, who always used to say, uh, it's harder to beat 10 men. It yeah. certainly rang, rang true on uh, on the it's, occasion at Molyneux. It's the old football paradox, isn't it? it? Like The fewer players a team has, the harder they are to beat, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I suppose... Uh, there must be a tipping point, though, mustn't there? Yeah, like, it runs it, out yeah. after yeah. <laughs> you've got like, seven men to play against. you probably <laughs> struggle, but you'd hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that said, Adam, um, it is a positive, isn't it, that we can sit here and say, well, they didn't play that well and they've come away with a you know a stonking 3-0 victory. Yeah, I think there's been a few instances of that this season as well where we've not played you know, tip-top football, but we've got the results. And I think that's the Haaland factor in a way that you can just pick a goal from nowhere. But I think also, if you look at the performance in isolation, you look at Molyneux as a venue for us in recent years. This is the first time we've won three in a row there since 1906. So it's not been a happy stomping ground for us as such. All so right, you- stat man. It's like you've got access to a database. This <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um, is the stat man. Yeah, for, more, for more like this, follow Stat City on Twitter. No. Um, so I think we, if we look at the result in context of the game against Wolves, I've, I, well, I'm the most pessimistic City fan you'll meet anyway, but I'm always thinking, oh, Wolves away, tricky ground. And we didn't really get out of first or certainly second gear to kind of get that win. We looked leggy when they went down to 10 men, bizarrely. Uh, I tweeted saying, which which team's got 10 men there? It's that cliche that we've all alluded to there. And it's weird how often that does actually happen. They were, it's weird because I felt like we were under the cosh without being under the cosh. That is the most ridiculous thing I'll ever say, but... Um, I, I wonder if it's... Tosh. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if it's City fans though, because yes. um, like there's, there's there, there was this element. I, I was I was watching the game in, uh, in, in a pub in Manchester and there was a kind of collective feeling in the room that wolves wolves are getting back into this, and then like actually yeah. when you watch it back, like Edison didn't do anything. Yeah, there, there was one chance that they skewed wide from uh, like the penalty spot, and other than that, like they barely got into the city box. But because they had some of the ball, we're all going, "Oh God, it's it's it, they, 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 they need to do something yeah. about this now." And it just like I just wonder if it's just City fans, you know? Yeah, it's City goggles that definitely because. Uh, I, there was certainly a, mi- a period mid-second half where I thought, we're up against it here and we should be dominant, but maybe that's just uber pet ball and we, we was happy to let them run themselves ragged because we knew we had the man advantage and we knew what we to do with or we should perceive to be know what to do with the ball when we've got the ball. But it, would, it certainly wasn't a vintage performance, but looking back now and with the benefit of hindsight, we, it was never in doubt, was it? And uh, another clean sheet, I think that's four 
for Edison this season. Uh, another away you victory. <laughs> yeah, you should. You should know, mate. You should know. You you definitely know that answer. <laughs> yeah, but I've got to, I've got to play it cool, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a very crowded, competitive field as well. Saying you're the most pessimistic City fan there is, is uh, <laughs> some stiff opposition there. Yeah, we've but, we've met what, a few down the years. <laughs> oh, I, what you were saying though, that's about um, the Haaland factor. I think I don't know. Wolves. Well, it's it felt to me like Wolves created more than they obviously did like a similar vibe to you watching the game and um, to you, Moons, in the pub, like how it felt. But I think because the Haaland factor, we're going to get goals where we didn't used to get goals, means we're are we being a bit more direct. So we're going to lose possession and the turnover is going to happen more often. So teams are going to kind of get back, get possession back of the ball more often and it just makes it feel less of a controlled environment than when we had the false nine and we've literally just, you know, pass, 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 pass and we kind of lull teams into a, some sort of mesmeric trance <laughs> before before making the killer pass. And now we're, we're being more direct and it just gives more, it's more to and fro in the game. Yeah, I did. There was a moment though in the second half, Chris. I don't know if I don't know if you remember this. It just it really stood out to me as there was a point where Wolves were they they had the ten men. They were on top a little bit. They they had a lot of the ball, not really doing that much with it. A, a kind of a, a, in City's half around the edge of the box. But crucially, City couldn't get the foot on the ball and they couldn't kind of get out of the of their own defensive third. And while Wolves weren't being particularly threatening, they had the opportunity to be threatening. And there was a moment where City tried to break a couple of times, and it broke down, and, and Wolves got the ball back, and they were they, they were pressing again. Mm. Um, and the third time it happened, City went, "No, we're not, we're not, we're not falling into your trap here. We're not. We we see the space that's in behind you, but we're not going to take it. We're going to keep the ball." And they knocked it around uh, the back four a, a, a little bit. They knocked it into the middle, and, and kind of De Bruyne. De Bruyne had the opportunity to to kind of turn and run, and he rolled it back to Rodri, and then rolled Rodri rolled it back to one of the centre backs, and it just it. It, it, City kept possession then for about two or three minutes, and it was a case of like almost saying to Wolves, "Look, you've had your fun, but now we need to take control of this game again." And I it's think, I, yeah, I think, I think the actually, I think the third goal came along not not long after that, and so it was it was a kind of it was a grown up way of saying, "Listen, we need to we, we just need to manage this game quite well," and that's that's one thing I do think, Chris, City have done well this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's one of those sort of. Um, you know, few moves ahead, tactical uh, views you've got to take on things, isn't it? I mean, they're trying to kind of tease us into playing into spaces they know they can break from if they're able to get it. But we also realise that the risk involved and um, the the advantage of keeping the ball and pulling the players about to create the spaces we need rather than being teased into um, playing it too early and you know, there's a lot of very experienced um, players who are used to playing the Pep system, and yeah, I think you're right. We are, we do, we do display a very sort of mature um, game, game style, and gameplay. The way the way yeah. they employ what he wants to do, definitely. Yeah, Adam, it's how much how, how much of this game do you think is is it simply that Wolves? Actually, for for as as much as we say they're boring and they 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 don't score many and they don't concede many and they, like the games are difficult to watch, is that simply because they're very well organised and actually quite good at what they do? Yeah, I think they, I think they're a good football inside, and that it's it's weird that a compliment could be they're a good mid table side in that they don't do too much wrong either way or too much right, but in that they've got a, a compact unit. They, I think they're sending off. Um, like change their organization at the back a bit because they have to drop a midfielder back but they they, they did seem well drilled even though we've just come away with a 3-0 victory it wasn't a 3-0 you know pasting was it it was it was a ground out we had to we work happy, for it yeah we had to work for it we were happy to set our stall out like you've alluded to not get invited into those traps and they must be a, an organized side to be able to almost you know present us with those gaps and want to kind of invite us in um so they, they do you know what they're doing. I think the 
their fan base is half and half, whether they're behind the manager or not. So he, he's obviously had some kind of impact on their play. So I just think they are an organised side. And the more we discuss that and you talk about the tactics they've employed and used, it actually the results get even better for me now as we sit here dissecting it. Yeah, be uh, be one of the best results of the season by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's hard, isn't it, for, for a club like Wolves? I mean... They're well organised, they're structurally yeah. sound, they yeah. know what they're doing, they've got yeah. an organised way of playing, but yeah. to attract the sort of players they need to get onto the next level, it's difficult. I mean, they're getting Costa in, they've got Costa in, he's end of his career, but obviously a, a very, very uh, high quality player. Yes, uh, absolutely so, delighted he wasn't on the pitch. Yeah, week. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's hard, isn't it, because they get players in who are at a stage of the career where they're looking to showcase their talents to move to a bigger club. And yeah. just as it starts to tick with them, they tend to move on. Sort of. I mean, we know what it's like when we were not as big as we are now. Um, so, yeah, they, they, are, they are a difficult side to play. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the goals. Uh, we're going to come to Grealish shortly. So uh, we, we, it'll sound weird, but we're going to ignore the first goal for the time being. Um, Harland, it turns out, Adam, still pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? Uh, his, his goal to get against to goals ratio uh, kept up nicely. Um, right footed strike this time as well, which has been his lesser chosen uh, method so far. Come on, you know, uh, the, you know, the, you know the data. You know the data. How many is it? Yeah, oh, oh, you've put me on the spot there, but it you is don't know that. You no, know, it's certainly less than left foot, uh, and certainly less than headers. He's got two headers, I think, but. Um, you just knew when he was marauding into that space that something was going to happen. It wasn't even the cleanest of strikes, but he doesn't seem to. Be, yeah, but he doesn't. It, it's weird. It was scuffed with intent, not intent to scuff it, but it still went in the area that he intended it to go. A Tevez finish. Tevez, like, like, exactly. Yeah. I, Tevez is the is the best striker I've ever yeah. seen who couldn't hit a football. I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, that you, scuffed you, intent. You don't want to be hitting it too well, do you? Because we all know what happens then. Yeah. Straight to the keeper. Yeah. Adam, yeah. Am, I, am I right in thinking as well that's his first goal for City outside the box? Yeah, he's definitely um, ticked that box out uh, off as well now with a uh, long range. We class that as long range in our yeah. statistics. About, about 19 world. yards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, But you just knew as soon as he opened his legs to move, to run towards the goal that something was going to happen, maybe a deflection, maybe a corner, or in most cases now a goal. And that isn't the stereotypical... City way of playing, so that which Chris alludes to around the with being a bit more direct. He literally just got the ball, turn and ran, and that it's, it's that directness that's just exciting to watch. And I think, regardless of how you're playing, if you have that one passage of play in a game, and and he can pu- pull off something like that, you're going to have every single chance of winning the lot. Yeah, Chris, am I? Um... I don't know if I'm about to commit, you know, um, like a, a, a horrible hate crime against uh, City and Erling Haaland here. But when I watch him run with the ball, um, he can't run, can he? He do, like he doesn't run properly, does he? <laughs> no. Like it's, it's it, it just it looks really awkward and and really kind of disjointed. And yeah, he gets to the end of his run, and you think should bury this now. Well, I mean, it's the sort of running style you expect from a creature uh, made in a lab by uh, evil genius scientists. It's he's uh, not conventional in many, nope. many respects. In, in that, any respects, yeah. That goal he scored against um, Dortmund. I mean, I think I've said it before on it. It's like it's like someone grabs him by the ankle and just flings him, and he just sort of <laughs> flies through the air, and the, the, the nearest limb or body part to mm. the ball latches onto it, and dink, it's a goal. Uh, but yeah, he's he's so fast, and he's, he's he looks like he should be ungainly. But I mean, he's quick over the first few yards, and then speeds up. Yeah, I think it's, it's his posture as well that kind of gives it, it gives it this look as if he's like yeah. this really awkward runner. He's got that sort of loping gait. Yeah, takes yeah. our game to uh, another dimension, I think. Yeah, well, if if it works, if it works, yeah. Um, Adam, what do you reckon it says about uh, Guardiola that um, he's basically gone to? It, it, I, I don't have any insight on this. I've not spoken to Guardiola about it or anybody in the in the dressing room because obviously I don't have those connections. But uh, like, it, it feels very much like Guardiola is is not trying to change what Erling Haaland is, and mm. I mean that in the way that when he arrived and. Uh, when he took on um, the, the the city side in 2016, he took Aguero and he moulded him into a player that came back and got involved in the building. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like he's doing that with Haaland. It feels like he's going to Haaland. Listen, your game is in the box, so just yeah. just be in the box. Yeah, 
you you asked me at the back end of last season on the podcast, like, would it be City changing our style to suit Haaland or the other way around? And I said we'd probably meet in the middle and be halfway, but it's absolutely not been that. And we've alluded to it two or, two or three times already that that direct approach, we're literally just letting Haaland basically dictate when and where he's going to run and we'll find him. Um, the touch counters are obviously obsessed with how many touches he's had in a game. And me, I'll, likes I'll to defend watch... that though, because I think it's fascinating how many he's scoring for how few yeah, touches he's having. Exactly. So you, you enjoy the how ridiculous it is that he's perceived to be not involved in the game then all of a sudden he'll pop up and his first touch is a goal now all of a sudden other people who are trying to discount him are trying to say oh he can't be that good because he's, he's done nothing but score goals as if that isn't the key <laughs> method for all to be yeah all he does is score <laughs> goals um, so I, I, the, the touch counters are out in force, so you know he's not impacting the, the game. But his runs off the ball doesn't get counted as a touch, but it literally tires defenders all day long. And then he gets on the end of it in between, usually in between the goals, in in between the posts, and that's his area of operation. I am surprised how much we've kind of bowed to his style of play rather than meeting in the middle, as I, I, I assumed it would be. But I'm all for it, and he's proved right. And there's, you could perceive that to be like lazy in, in a way but it's absolutely not for us to just say it's not a case of just saying stand up there and we'll get the ball to you and put it in he does do a lot of work off the ball that isn't going to be counted by uh touches and heat maps and things like that yeah the immeasurable stuff yeah yeah when, you, when you're that potent as well as he is the defenders know that and they pay more yeah uh more sort of duty to to him and it you know, not just his runs, but just if he could stand anywhere and he'd have, uh, you know, the attention of three defenders. Yeah, yeah. I also wonder, though, Chris, if that uh, kind of overall feeling that that, that Haaland is, is up there and he's just kind of causing problems for defenders and not necessarily coming back and getting involved in the play. I wonder if that is contributing to this impression that City haven't really hit full stride because actually what we're watching is is, is a different City this time. It's not a City that is that is going to do what it's done over the last couple of years. It's a completely different way of approaching and, and attacking games. Well, it's, it's bound to be, isn't it? We've got a striker, a, a bona fide, you know, bespoke does what it says on the turn centre forward. Um, we've not had that for a few years, so it can only change the way you play. I mean, for all the few touches, all the few, is that a correct phrase? For the few touches that he has, though, <laughs> I feel that he does do quite a good, a good bit of link up. Um, I don't know what the stats are on that, but, um, you know, is people said he can't link up play before he came, or he'll fail because of this. I don't think he'll do that well. I don't think he'll adapt. But, you know, he gets in there with one-twos, he lays the ball off and makes runs. I think his link-up play is pretty good. Yeah, can I uh, can I throw um, a little idea into the works as well here that uh, maybe, maybe he hasn't even got started yet because he has still got to improve various areas of his game and his link-up with, uh, with City and his understanding with City. And maybe this is him being a bit rusty. <laughs> That's petrifying if you're right. <laughs> Gary Thorpe. <laughs> yeah. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's talk about uh, Phil Foden as well, because Adam, it was uh, a lovely finish to uh, round off the uh, the scoring and make the game safe. Uh, a goal that was made entirely by uh, De Bruyne and Haaland on that, that right-hand side. Um, again, showing great link up between the pair of them and great awareness. Yeah, just carbon copy, isn't it? Just rinse and repeat. I think we've scored two or three goals like that this season. And he didn't start the season too great, Foden, but he seems to be finding his feet again now. Um, and you know, is is one of the players that have played in in every played a part in every game this season. So he's obviously favoured by Pep ahead of other wide. Uh, players, you look at Mares and Grealish, for example. Um, but he certainly seems to be hitting his stride at the right time again now. Coming well, or, or not for us because the England get to have the benefit of it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know whether he was carrying an injury from pre-season um, that made him have a slow, sluggish start. But certainly uh, that link up with De Bruyne, we saw it against Sevilla as well, didn't we? That ball round the corner and then flashing across for a tap in. Uh, it's just like I say, rinse and repeat, and long may it continue. 
Yeah. Um, just on Foden, Chris, um, has his? Do you, do you feel like his form has improved lately, or has he just kind of grown into the season a little bit? Got kind of found his feet. Well, I think Adam alluded to it there in, in terms of it looked like he was carrying an injury. I don't know if he was. Maybe it's just a slow start, but he's definitely improved. He was frustrating for me um, early season. Just wasn't doing what we know he can do. And once you've seen him in full flow and doing what, you know, playing at his optimum level when he isn't at that, it's notable. Uh, he's got more strings to his bow than Mares and Grealish when Grealish plays on the left. Um, so I think that's the reason he's favoured. I mean, you, you kind of know what you're going to get when you start. Um, well, Mares is kind of a winger anyway, but when you start Grealish on the left and you start Mares on the right, you know what they're going to do. It's not always easy to stop it, but if you do get the measure of them, then it can start turning into a bit of a, a blind alley fest because they, they'll get the ball, they'll look up, they'll have a little run, they'll cut inside and they'll either try and make a pass, try and get a shot off or take the man on. And it it has happened a few times recently where both of them have just, um, it's not really borne any fruit for them and it can get frustrating. But with Foden, you know, he can pick up different pockets of space. He's got a little bit more in his locker when, when it comes to decision-making in tight areas, I feel. Um, he's just a bit more more dynamic uh, when he's at the top of his game. And yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he'd be ahead of him on the, on the packing order. Yeah. Adam, is is that why you think City looks... Because City do look so different with, with Foden in the side when he's not the, to when he's not there, don't they? Is, is that part of the reason yeah. why? Yeah, and I also think... In the games where we've started Grealish and Mares uh, as the wider players, we then seem to have replaced them with um, Alvarez and Foden when we seem to need to be chasing a game to get back in a game. And it's that type of injection of pace or like energy and a bit of work rate that makes him stand out as, you know, because cause he can, he's, he's impacted more games than Grealish has this season. So he seems the favourable option and the more dynamic option and the more exciting option because he's got that energy and work rate and he'll do a job and you know we know how much Guardiola loves a player who, who's got work rate and the, you know the praise he heaped on Gabriel Jesus last season because of his he called him our best defender even though he's a striker and he likes that from Foden as well and I think slowly but surely Foden's getting more and more important in this season I know we're only seven eight games in but um, from that sluggish start he's now perceived that speed and that energy. So I think that's that's where it's coming from, that kind of, because he's, he's been brought into games to change them and that's why he seems to have more impact. Yeah, kind of started in first gear, moved into second, yeah, just about knocking it up into third at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's noticeable. Yeah. Um, now, they, we, we touched on the red card earlier, Chris. Um, like, are, are you as baffled as me that there was any debate over this? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... It's just hard to fathom how people can watch that in real time, watch it on the replay, see any stills of it, and not think <laughs> that, you know, it'd be not surprising if the police were involved. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what are you doing? I went for the ball. Well, you know, you, you ended up studying the guy um, across his, across his you know, the side of his midriff, so you didn't get the ball, you got the man by. Yeah. Tough. Yeah, have, a, that. have a walk towards the showers, will you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Chance to hurt anyone on the way. Yeah, I, I was going <laughs> to say, Adam, I was going for the ball. Doesn't really mean much if you if you catch somebody in the stomach with your studs, does it? No, and, and I think he, he realised that after the game. I know he waited for Grealish after he did his media duties to apologise. So I think in the heat of the moment, his his argument of I went for the ball uh, didn't, didn't carry much muster, and it certainly uh, it, it certainly wasn't tripping that line after it, and it was just apologies. So he, he knew. I saw some ridiculous. Uh, stuff on Twitter. I don't know whether they were just baiting, and I'm usually quite guilty of taking the bait. So, but yeah, the arguments to for anything other than saying it was a red card were absolutely ridiculous. But I must admit, some of them did uh, did catch me. Yeah, and just in terms of, I, I would be, I've been trying to think because of um, how clear cut a red card I thought it was. Has can either of you think of a more blatant red card in a city game down the years that, that, yeah. that you've witnessed and you've thought, oh, oh, he's going to walk here for whatever reason? And then, oh yeah, lo and behold, the referee has branded a red. Well, well, I want to flip it on its head slightly. Is the 
Ben Thatcher on Pedro Mendes. Uh, oh, oh that's that clear only, yellow card challenge. Only yeah. bandaged in yellow. So that's the most red card challenge I've ever seen. So that was the one that came to me strictly. But um, There's a couple that spring to mind, actually, and they're against uh, United. The There were skulls on Zabaleta in the yeah. semi-final of the FA Cup. And while we've been talking about um, young Erling... Roy Keane oh. on um, oh, yeah. his card. I mean, yeah, completely forgot about that one. Yeah, we've, we've had the family name all through the podcast. This is yeah. what I mean. It's the most blatant. Um, I mean, it was premeditated for about yeah. six years. So there was plenty of intent in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Never never has a challenge been more obvious in, uh, no. in many yeah, ways. The, the Skulls one as well. There was... Um, while we're on the subject, uh, Gary Neville uh, tried to headbutt Steve McManaman, and although it wasn't yeah. the most violent act, it was a red card all day long. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about players who should be booked for existing and then <laughs> stacking yellow for entering the field of play, really. But <laughs> singling out incidents, then those stand out for me. Yeah. Uh, right, well, it's now time to talk about the opening goal scorer from Saturday's game. Jack Grealish has been under quite a bit of intense focus since coming back from injury in the last few weeks, and his season in front of goal got up and running inside 55 seconds at Wolves. His performance was widely praised afterwards too. That's following a couple of games where his input was criticised. This week, we've made Sam Roscoe look for the nuance in the Grealish debate. We often wonder how much players are aware of what's being said about them. This week, Jack Grealish might have given us an answer. It's always nice, you know, to get an early goal. I think that must be my quickest I've ever scored in my career. So, um, you know, once you've got the goal, you know, your confidence is much is much higher. And I think I needed that, you know. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, it's a good day. That was what Grealish said to match of the day after the 3-0 win over Wolves. And it came after he spoke to BT Sport on the pitch at full time. You know, it was a long time coming, actually. Um, obviously, I haven't scored since, I don't know when it was, the West Ham game at the back end of last season. So, um, you know, it was just nice to get off the mark for this season and, and to do it so early and obviously get the three points, you know, a difficult place to come. It, there's been a, a lot of questions around you this week. Do you think you've answered them today? Yeah, no, I think I'm rightly so, you know, I should be scoring more, I should be getting more assists, um, you, you know, this, obviously I'm always going to have people talking about me, you know, with, with the amount I got bought for, but yeah, you know, it's something that I do want to add to my game and, and you know, playing with this team and, and in front of these fans, hopefully I can. There speaks a man who might have been feeling the pressure recently. His manager, though, has been trying to keep the focus away from him. Here's what he said in Friday's pre-match press conference. No, I want to score goals. I want to make assists. He wants to. But it's, it's not about that. It's how he contribution without the ball and how he can produce for the other ones for many, many things that he is able to do. Guardiola was asked a number of questions about Grealish, about his form and his contribution to the team, and the City boss came out in a strong defence of his winger. Well, we didn't cite him for the incredible goals and assists making Villa. It was another reason. And when he played, he did it. But he competed with the top, top players as well. And, and you know, uh, he knows it perfectly. But never complain on that. And the game we didn't play is the first to help the team. And the training session always is there. So I'm delighted about his behaviour and everything. And even after what was widely considered to be a poor display from Grealish against Borussia Dortmund from people outside the club, Guardiola wasn't having it. In the last game, in the final third when I arrived, he was the only one up front that make an aggressive one against one. But at the moment that to make assets, we didn't have his mates in the box. So we left him isolated. When we go against the fullback, it just Erling was there. Gundo was not there, Kevin was not there, he should be there. And when that's happened, you help Jack to make his productive. So in the first half, we were not, without the ball, we were not, but especially with the ball, we didn't make any movements to help the players that has the ball to make his possibility to make more decisions making easier. Grealish himself had definitely been feeling down about his performance against Dortmund though. That much was clear from what he had to say about the manager in that BT Sport interview. You know, he's been brilliant with me and uh, you know what, I actually probably have, to, probably have to thank him because, you know, he gave me the opportunity today after after my performance on Wednesday, it weren't the best at all, so um, uh, thankful for him and hopefully I repaid him. Guardiola explained ahead of the game, though, that he's not focused on simple statistics. All the time we ask them to be yourself, 
don't think be what the people expect you have to be. Be yourself as a person, as a especially football player. And this is all you have to be concerned. Try to get better today than yesterday. And tomorrow you have to be better than today. And the manager also believes players can sometimes be too influenced by what other people are saying about them. Always I said to them, so you know exactly how did you play. Exactly. What we are looking for, what was the plan of the game. So you don't have to listen what the people say, if you play good or bad. You know, every one of us know if you did the best or you were performed, you know, the best of you in this specific day. Some players said, oh, I play bad, but the, after the media or friends said, oh, you play good, and oh, now I'm happy. It's no sense. So you know exactly after the game how you, this is the most important thing. If you play good and the people say you don't play good, it doesn't matter. Perhaps that puts what Grealish said early about his performances into a new light. While Guardiola might be happy with the winger's contributions, the player himself doesn't feel like he's done enough to help City's game plans. Have a listen to this bit again. I should be scoring more, I should be getting more assists. Um, you, you know, obviously I'm always going to have people talking about me, you know, with, with the amount I got bought for. But yeah, you know, it's something that I do want to add to my game. But still Grealish is focusing on his numbers. If that's the measure by which we're going to judge his City career, as he admits, it's very difficult to make the case for him as a £100 million player. But focusing on goals and assists alone is too simplistic. So much of the football City have played under Guardiola has been about moving opponents out of position, creating space for others to do damage and forcing overloads or quick switches of play. That was the message his manager reiterated after the win at Molyneux. I said many times to them, you are here because I trust unconditionally for all of them because I know them. And Jack is not an exception. I scored a goal, it was a good performance, quite similar to the play against Befobe. Every time he has the ball, we have uh, one against one, against one against the fullback, all the time, all the time, all the time. They don't have to say thank you or my confidence in them. I have confidence in all of them. They have to believe for them. The best of them, they have to play every single game. And this is what I'm looking for. And, and of course, I'm happy for him, for the victory and, uh, and his incredible personality to play. And, and that's why that's why I'm happy, of course, for the call he has scored. So maybe the issue around Grealish is that the conversation is too binary. Perhaps the answer is that the winger's first season and a bit at the Etihad hasn't been a roaring success, especially for his fee. But at the same time, he's also contributed far more than his critics will accept. We should probably focus less on goals and assists, and more on the team's overall play. I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy and I, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. Enjoy. Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. That was Sam Roscoe looking at the arguments around Grealish's form. Um, Chris, what do you make of Grealish? Um, Are we we too focused on simply looking at his goals and assists record? Or is it a case of that he does actually need to contribute more in that arena? Um, I think it comes down to what's being asked of him. And if the manager's asking him to do a certain thing and picks him the next game, it would suggest that, he's doing what the manager asks because he's not going to be picking players that he doesn't feel are fulfilling um, the role he's instructed them to carry out. So there's a lot of, uh, I feel there's a lot too much um, based on, you know, with similarly with Haaland, like, oh, he doesn't take many touches. All he does is score goals. Like, well, so what? But this hundred million pound on, on Grealish, it's not, it it could be I don't care what the what the figure is. It's just yeah. why why it's not his fault it's cost a hundred million pound. Villa it was it was worth that to uh Villa valued him at that. We were willing to pay it. It's like so if, if he cost a hundred and twenty million pounds, does that mean he should never miscontrol a ball? Or if he cost a hundred and thirty million pounds, that means he should score two goals a game. I mean there's yeah. no there's no like there's no, it's not an exact science, is it? That he's yeah, there's no rule book for it. Exactly, yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. Uh, I wish people stopped going on about it. Uh, sorry for bringing it up. 
Yeah. But, um... <laughs> it's good that I've not dedicated about 10 minutes of the podcast to it. In that well, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. no, no. It's, it's worth discussing to to make the point that um, people are pay- paying too much attention to it. He is not playing... He's playing a very limited capacity in terms of his old role at Villa, where although he'd, you know, if we sort of based on the left a bit, he was more central and he was allowed to rove more. He had more freedom. I saw his interview... Um, like the pre-England camp uh, interview. And he seemed really relaxed uh, and openly happy to say that he had less freedom now, that he's playing with different players in a different setup, so he's not going to be the standout. When I'm playing for a manager like Pep Guardiola and he's telling me, you know, to to, to keep the ball as much as I can and, and you know, he's have balls to take it everywhere, um, that's what I'll try and do, so... Um, Obviously, you know, I'm always going to have a, I'm always going to have people, you know, if I'm not playing well. Listen, I know within myself, I always watch my games back and stuff like this, um, and I'm very critical of myself. Um, I know that there's, there was games, especially in the second half of last season, where I just, I was, yeah, I weren't, I weren't at my best at all. Um, and yeah, hopefully, I can just get that. Uh, I don't know, get get my performances back to where I was, you know, when I'm playing at my best, because I know, I know how good I actually am when, when I am at my best. So when I obviously signed for Man City and, and, and the price and stuff that come with it, I knew, you know, it weren't going to be all um all laughs unless unless I started the way Erling Haaland did then. Um I think that's the only way that I wouldn't get Kane. So um no, you know, I've just got, I've obviously I'm not going to sit here and say nothing ever don't affect me because it does sometimes, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a twenty seven year old kid. Um so yeah, I've obviously had to learn to deal with that. I was sort of bemoaning his lack of directness initially in, in the first season. Um, and I think he has improved on that. I mean, against Dortmund, it didn't come off, but you couldn't fault him for, you know, trying to trying to take his man on, uh, trying to be direct. He had a few shots, okay, they didn't go in, but they're not all going to go in, even if you do cost £100 million. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's improved on what he was doing. He's not featured. Um, I mean, he's he's been in he's been injured as well, hasn't he? Yeah, for most of the season so far. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a, the the amount of pressure that is put on him is directly related to the price tag in a way that, um, thankfully, you know, everyone focuses on it, but him it would seem because he seems relaxed. I think he's doing the right thing. Done in the world of good to get that goal, um, and again the goal. It wasn't uh, well, it wasn't a hundred million pound goal, was it? Let's be honest. Kind of bundled it in. Could yeah, have been a bit more finesse. I'd expect more finesse on the bundle <laughs> for that price. But it was really well worked uh, between you know Foden and, and De Bruyne. But he was his mindset was be direct, be there, expect the cross, attack it. He's doing the right, he's making the right moves and um, if he carries on in that vein, then he'll be absolutely fine. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Listen to it, drink it in. Adam, I was going to ask if this, as Chris has said there, if this is actually a discussion about his fee. Because if he'd been, if City had signed him for 60 million, say, then this level of scrutiny would just not be anywhere near him, would he? I don't, I don't know if he yeah. would be feeling the pressure like he's like he seems to be when I mean, I mean, like in the in the feature there, he was talking about, oh yeah, I should be scoring more, I should be assisting more. Like if City had spent sixty million on him instead of a hundred million, I don't know if he's saying that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it wouldn't be the same. The fee is the easiest stick to beat him with. It's a bit of a so I'm a massive Jack Grealish fan, uh, much to many people's dismay on Twitter because I'm absolute Jack Grealish fanboy and unapologetically so. So you're probably not going to get an unbiased uh, viewpoint on this from me, but the fee is the easiest thing to beat him with. So that's the first thing to go to. Anyone, you don't need to have an educated view on football to just be able to say 100 million, you should be scoring seven goals a game. He's not doing that. He's rubbish. So that, that's their argument and that's all they're interested in, the people who want to enter into that discourse around the feet. Yeah, it's a bit talk, his... talk sport for me, though. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. That's, that's, that's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if he was a middle of the road in terms of a fee that was spent for him, he'd be under the radar. I think he's probably the best player for us to have in the spotlight because of his mentality, because of his almost self-deprecation that I should be doing more. He knows that himself. So I do think it's water off a duck's back for Jack. He did look 
catch twenty two that because he did look like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders after the game. But that's going to come in a get after a game that you've scored a goal in. But I think he's the best person to be equipped with these skills to deal with that level of scrutiny. He's a superstar in his own making with his headband and his his, his look. You know, kids in the playground who want to be him. He's going to put names on the back of shirts for us. I know that's not his prime objective, but it is a, a byproduct of his persona that is that is is created. And I just think. Yeah, you're certainly right. If it was a 60 million mid 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 range buy, he, he wouldn't have this level of scrutiny. But he is doing all the right things in little doses. For example, the West Ham game on the beginning of the season, he practically took the ball back to our corner flag to open the space for De Bruyne and Haaland to run in behind and score that second amazing goal. But that type of thing goes unnoticed because he wasn't the final pass for that assist or he wasn't yeah. the one putting the ball in the net. People um, still weren't happy with him in that game. I know, but that was the perfect game plan. He, mm. he he executed Pep's game plan and Pep singled him out for praise after the game. And he did the same against Dortmund and said that it was De Bruyne and Gundogan's fault that they weren't in the positions that went once uh, Jack had carried the ball to wherever it had got to. And my last point about his input in terms of, or output in terms of goals and assists, weirdly, his last five goals have all come seven appearances apart. So get your um, get your money on him scoring in the in the seventh game from today, but um, it's, it's that <laughs> output that because it is so few and far between, coupled with the fact that people can just lob um, your, your hundred million accusation at him, that then becomes a narrative regardless of whether we see him, you know, tussling at the corner flag to create space at the other end of the pitch. You don't see that. Uh, on on a stat sheet again, and I'm the <laughs> I'm a fine one to talk about uh, making stats say what you want them to say. But yeah, I was gonna it, I, I was gonna say don't <laughs> don't bite the hand that feeds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, is, it, is, it just it is few and far between. But I'm a huge Jack Grealish fan. I thought that I always thought that the second season would be his season. I still stand by it. I love the fact when Foden, Grealish, and Haaland start together. It's happened three times. We scored nine goals and conceded none. So I think that's our best front three. And uh, again, long may it continue. Rant yeah. over. Yeah, I just I mean, in, in terms of the the overall play, though, though, Chris, if if as we heard from Guardiola in the in the, in the feature that Sam did there, like if he's focusing more on you know creating space for others, attracting defenders to, to to force overloads elsewhere on the pitch, or you know being part of those quick switches from right to left or left to right, whatever, like if that's what Guardiola values, then he's doing the right thing at the moment, isn't he? Definitely. I mean, like I said earlier, if he wasn't doing the right thing, um, Pep would not be using him to, to carry on doing those right things because he'd, he'd go for another option that was more fruitful. Yeah. Uh, and the criticism that he has had, which he admitted, which I've levelled at him, that he wasn't being direct enough, which is all part and parcel of coming to um, a bigger um, club with more quality players and more ambition you're going to feel it'd be weird if you came into the environment <laughs> like Haaland I mean everyone's singling him out for being absolutely freakishly amazing because it is what he's done Grealish like yeah, a normal he's the, human he's the being, exception though isn't he yeah exactly but the normal human being um, comes in and takes a little bit of time to adjust doesn't just come out all guns blazing like the big I am and uh, not that I'm saying Haaland is he's a very humble guy Um Freakishly humble, yeah. too humble. <laughs> um, but yeah, Grealish has, has taken a little time to settle, but the things that were aimed at him in terms of negatives and criticism, that he wasn't being more direct, he's, he's turning that around as well. And well, uh, he's also, I don't know if he's been aired on here, but there's a great song uh, doing the rounds which hasn't become popular enough, in my view. Have you, have you heard the song? You might have to sing it for us. Well, it goes, a little, <laughs> goes a little something like, the greatest calves I've ever seen, Bruno looks like Mr Bean, Jack Grealish. <laughs> oh, Jack Grealish. <laughs> the greatest calves I've ever seen, Bruno looks like... So, yeah, I'm down. That is fantastic. This is yeah. not one I made myself, I'm uh, sad to say, but... <laughs> Sorry, you were going to ask the second question. That wasn't yeah, about it's that. all right. We just got derailed a bit. It wasn't by about Mr. Bean. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. Well, it was well worth it. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask about the the impact of momentum on him, uh, Chris, because uh, I thought at the back end of last season, he was very, very unfortunate not to feature against Villa in the final day. Um, because the game previous, the, the West Ham game, where City were 2-0 down, it went to 2-2. A big imp- a big impetus in changing that game for City was Jack Grealish. And then 
he, he played 58 minutes in the Community Shield, 90 minutes against West Ham on the opening day, then gets injured, and then uh, sorry, 45 minutes against Bournemouth, then gets injured, um, and then he returns against Sevilla, plays Sevilla, Dortmund, and and then uh, Wolves. So he's like he's, he has barely featured since that West Ham game at the back end of last season. And yet here we are talking about how he's not done it yet this season. Uh, oh, well, not us specifically, but you know the, the general discourse is that he hasn't done it yet this season. And I'm like, he's, he's barely played. He's barely featured. How can you build up a head of steam at this, uh, uh, without getting on the pitch? Yeah, it is important to have uh, regular regular appearances to, to get a rhythm. Um, and again, being the main man um, at Villa, you know you're going to start every game. So it's a bit of a culture shock for him there as well. I don't know. Do you think there was a? In fact, that's probably rubbish. But I was just sort of kind of thinking aloud in terms of: Do you think Pep might have thought it would be a risk to play him against Villa and put that much pressure on him last day? Title decider and he's against his old club. Probably not is my thought. So I'm just having a quiet argument with myself. If you don't mind. I was going to say when the game was fraught in the away game and it was two one, he brought him on, and I was like, mm. that's the sort of thing that could uh, that the, like the fans way. could get behind, and it could go either way, couldn't it? Yeah. So I, I don't think it's the sort of thing that that Guardiola would be too worried about. Mm. Um, just a final question on this uh, though, Adam. Um, it's part of it's part of the issue around this discussion. Not necessarily Grealish in the team, but who else is in the team at the same yeah. time? And what I'm getting at is, is d- does it work for City with Grealish on one flank and Mares on the other, or does it does that make it too narrow? Do they need someone like Foden stretching it on one on one flank and then Grealish on the other? Yeah, exactly. That it's too methodical with and too slow in the build up with Mares and Grealish on the on the, in the same side. I think, and the biggest crime that. Um, Grealish and Mahrez will commit this season is not being Alvarez and Foden because they're the dynamic duo that seem to come in it's either one or the other so you're almost you're almost handicapped by the fact that you know by the fact of the players who are going to replace you and how they perform and the type of games that they're brought into as well that's another uh, another you know feature of this this kind of uh, lineup that Pep likes to choose I think um, Grealish and Mahrez, it's too slow. I alluded to in my previous answer around how how much I love Foden, uh, Haaland and Grealish because that allows one to be energetic and one to be methodical in the build-up. When you've got two of that on either side of the pitch, both trying to come in, both trying to make it narrow, both trying to be methodical, both wanting to take extra touches, it just becomes a bit tippy-tappy and that doesn't suit the, the fact that we've got a number nine standing up there ready to you know put any put any chance in. So I think last season he probably, if he would have had the momentum last season in terms of appearances and consecutive appearances, he might have you know made a better claim for 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 his position. But this season, because it's been so such stop start through injuries, and then the games that he is bringing him into, the rest of the lineup isn't necessarily working for him. And like I say, Alvarez and uh, Foden are the sexier option when you're one uh, 0 down and needing a goal. If you've started with Mares and Grealish, yeah, I think that's the right way around to do it though, because if you start with if yeah. you start the game with Mares and Grealish and it ain't working, yeah. you can kind of switch it up to Foden yeah. and Alvarez or Alvarez. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I think I keep doing it wrong. But <laughs> if you start with Foden and Alvarez yeah. and it ain't working, you can't, you're can't. you not switching it up. You're bringing the game down yeah. a level in terms of intensity. But, so if you're yeah, but, but it, sometimes you do need to you do helpful. need to kind of slow it down and speed it up at the right time. So, yeah. like, so sometimes slowing it down might actually be helpful for City because you can get more of the ball and, and, and get true, kind of more control maybe. I don't know. Um, just throwing ideas at the wall, see what sticks. No, um, no, I don't see what he's saying, but um, I think Pep agrees with me. Just yeah, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, well, moving on. And it's gone pretty much under the radar that Pep Guardiola's contract finishes at the end of the season. Last time the manager renewed his contract, it was about this time of the season. And it was during a Blue Moon podcast recording that we actually uh, heard the news and we had to hastily redo it so if it's happened again today you can thank us later um but while we all hope that the boss will renew his deal again we're going to take a look on today's show about the time that he nearly joined City as a player the year was 2005 City were beginning their first full season under the new manager Stuart Pearce and that summer's signings included Andy Cole and Darius Vassell and almost Pep Guardiola I've been speaking to the football agent Tony Sharkey who was the man tasked with finding Pep a move that summer I got a call from a, a, a Spanish-based agent um, saying that Pep Guardiola was looking for a um, a club in the Premier League. Um, he was looking, you know, he wanted to have a have a look at what the Premier League was about, and I think it was his sort of final 
possibly it was going to be his final contract. And he had been out in Qatar for two years. And obviously, when I got that phone call, I, I was obviously very, very excited because I was quite a, a new agent. I think I'd been a I'd, I'd passed my agent's exam in 2002. So this was only three years in and I was still quite a young agent at the time. So to, to take a call about one of the best players, Barcelona, and, you know, I was a bit of a Barcelona fan. So when I heard the name was mentioned, I was like, wow, this is, this could be big for me. You know, never mind big, big for him. He'd had a big career and he was on the sort of back end of it. And he'll have been, he'll have been 34 at the time. So, you know, it was clear to me that it was a bit of a last hurrah, if you like. But he also, um, it was explained to me that he wanted to to see what the Premier League was all about. Yeah. So uh, where did where did City come into this? Was it um, did you did you basically approach them and say would you be interested in in seeing what he's like? Yeah, absolutely. I, I as an agent, it was a case of come to the Premier League and see which clubs um, I could uh, organise something with. Obviously, most of the most of the people I spoke to that summer knew the player well from his time in Barcelona and, and, and when he was in Italy as well. But, you know, I did get some curveball questions about where's he been since because Qatar wasn't really on the, the radar of many clubs in England. And it was sort of seen at that time as a bit of a, um, a retirement, you know, option decent money, bit of sun, not very competitive football. Um, so I just basically did a scattergun approach of every single contact I had in the Premier League to try and find something. And, and you know, it was said explicitly by the agent to me that um, he was happy to come on trial, which not all players are, but he recognised that he would probably need to prove his fitness and, and, and to come on trial for somebody to, you know, offer him a deal. Yeah, so was there any anybody else involved or was it just a trial at City that he had? Did he have trials elsewhere? No, it was just City. I um, One of the contacts I had at the time was Derek Fazakali and Derek was an assistant to Stuart Pearce. So I spoke to Derek a couple of times and the second or third time I spoke to him, I think Stuart was in the office and Derek was shouting across the office to sort of say, Hey, listen, this is Pep Guardiola. What do you reckon? Should we have a look at him? Uh, you know, almost in my, I could sort of hear, I didn't hear the answer, but obviously the answer was positive. And uh, yeah, that that was it. City was the only club that I organised a, 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 a trial for. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah. So how how long was he at City? Did he did he did he have like was it like a week or two week trial sort of thing? What what was what was the setup like? Yeah, it was eight day eight day visit. Um, he flew in on a modest aircraft and stayed in one of the sort of red brick um, the one of the it was, I'm just trying to remember the name of the hotel. One of the airport hotels, quite modest. Um, I mean, he, he trained every day. Didn't play any. 11 v 11 uh, official matches, but he, he took part in every training session. Um, there was some, you know, behind closed doors sort of, for, not formal, but informal 11s v 11s. And, and he trained really, really well. I think at the end of the trial, we, we went to the, I think it was the opening game of the season. I'm, I think I'm right in saying it was West Brom at home. Um, Pep turned up actually. I, I I made a mistake. I forgot to sort of say, look, we have a bit of a dress code in this country. So he turned up dressed very casually, and the guys in the um, I remember it because the guys in the um, the sort of VIP bit, bit where we were, the, the boardroom was sort of, oh, you need a jacket and tie, and then so I had to explain who this player was and and what was happening, and they sort of nodded it through. You know what I mean? But it's a little bit embarrassing. So. So the the end of the trial was really to watch the the first team on the on the Saturday I think it was, and then we went in I think on the Monday um, he trained and then we had a chat with Stuart from there and I think that was the end of the the, the sort of eight days trial period. 
Yeah, who? So obviously, you know, we we know he didn't sign for City. Um, where where was that decision made? Was it uh, did City make him an offer? Did he turn it down, or, or or was it a case of actually we don't think you're for you, you're for us at this time? No, um, Stuart made him an offer. We had a meeting, as I said, on 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 the last day. Uh, Stuart made him an offer of six a six month contract. Um, it wasn't anything to do with finances or anything like that. We didn't really, there was a, some figures mentioned, but we didn't really go into any detail. And it was li- literally um, the fact that Stuart offered him a sort of six month deal. You know, was it worth bringing uh, the family and the kids over to, to Manchester, you know, to be there till maybe Christmas time, that t- sort of thing. And um, so he turned that deal down. I mean, I, I must admit, I scrambled around. I spoke to Derek a few times and, and to Stuart and to sort of say, oh, can, can you, you know, try and make it a year? And, 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 but I think, you know, they were a little bit cautious. He was cautious as well. You know, I think when he saw, when he saw the West Brom game and, and the fact that it was quite a direct sort of football, he did say to Stuart, look, if, you know, if there's, if you're wanting somebody to, to you know, chase the, the knock-ons and go up and back. There's hundreds of players who can do that so far better than me. But if you want to try and pass and play and and keep the ball, then I can do that for you. You know, he actually said that, which obviously now is just you know that's the the way he's always played. But you know, you could if you had a square peg in a round hole, it just wouldn't work, would it? The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch. Let us let you down off it instead. That was Tony Sharkey, the football agent, speaking to me uh, about the time that Pep almost joined City as a player. In many ways, Chris, uh, it's it's probably a good thing he didn't join Stuart Pearce's City because it could have put him off for life, couldn't it? <laughs> 100%, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wonder what he made of... I think he tra- there's a couple of training sessions he was in. It'd be interesting to be a, a fly on the wall or a, a stuffed... Bean-filled horse in the in the dressing room. <laughs> See what went down there. Yeah, but, what, he, yeah. what, he, what he thought of? Uh, I, I mean, that, that they hadn't signed Samaras by that point, but it was uh, it. They made a pretty good start to that season, actually. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you'd have maybe you'd have quite enjoyed that that early Stuart Pearce team before. It could have been the catalyst, yeah. the catalanist. Oh, been the very good. Yeah, I was going to say before the life got sucked out of it, but you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> Adam, just on Guardiola, um, I mentioned in the intro to the to the interview there that he hasn't that his contract is up at the end of the season. It's funny that it's not being talked about yet because I'm I'm starting to panic a little bit. Yeah, I'm convinced players like Haaland are brought in under the. I don't know how you know glamorous and fairy tale these type of contract talks are, but I'm under the belief that when Haaland's getting offered a contract. Um, they're saying, yeah, you're going to be working under Guardiola. A lot of the new signings always say, I joined to play under Guardiola. And if he's saying, oh, yeah, but he's going in 12 months time and you've signed a five-year deal, that's the only hope I've got that these guys know that something's in the pipeline that's going to happen. Give him a 50-year contract for me, literally. He can have whatever he wants. I know I'm bordering on Rio Ferdinand's backing of Solskjaer then that went very south, but, yeah, give him the keys to the city for me. Yeah, keys to the CFA at least, if nothing else. Yeah. Otherwise, he can't get in, can he? He's stu- you're stood outside waiting to get in every morning. Um, let's finish with some listener questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there, and we'll get to your questions later in the season. Um, we start with Ian on Twitter, who says, could you guys have a chat about Gundogan? How important is it to get him signed on for another couple of seasons? He's so important for City, and I would hate for him to let his contract expire and leave. Um, Chris... Just digging around on this one, Gundogan's contract expires at the same time as Guardiola's does in uh, in May 2023, the end of this season. Um, what what are your feelings on this? Is it one of those get the contract in front of him now, get it signed, or is it kind of see how this season goes? Uh, I think it's one of those where, like with Silver. Um, he's kind of a metronomic kind of presence on the pitch, and he? he just makes us tick. He sets the pace, he sets the tone. If he wants to leave, we're not going to stand in his way. Um, is there any way we can make it more attractive for him? I mean, does he start enough at his age? He's not going to be pushing to start more games. He's done. He's doing his coaching badges, isn't he? Um, yeah. 
So he's done a lot of co- he's had a lot of coaching experience with us. He might be of a view that he knows, you know, he knows how Pep plays. He knows uh, our style of play to continue his the last stages of finishes the last stage of his playing career and continue his learning curve in terms of coaching. It might be beneficial for him in his mind to go and learn coaching styles at different institutions. So he might want to go, but. I, I think it's one of them. I'd hate to see him. We'd all hate to see him leave because of his importance and because of the pivotal role he plays. And he's such a good footballer. He's such a consummate reader of the game. Everything he does, he's he's, he's one of those players that you just you're shocked if he if he lets the ball go, if he if we lose the ball or he does anything wrong, you're surprised. So I'd hate to see him go, but I'd completely understand if he wanted to, as I think all of the hierarchy at City would and, and the fans really, if if you put it to him. Um, and yeah, long may he stay, but it's up to him, and uh, remains to be seen. I'd be interested to see that question put to him, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at the start of the season, um, his answer was was basically um, like, "We'll see." Right now, it's it's we're just focusing on the new season, and it's that sort of stock answer mm. that you know doesn't really say mm. anything. Um, and I'm God's wondering, close. Adam. Yeah, I'm wondering, Adam, if, if if the fact that you know he's club captain now, he played such a pivotal role at the at the back end of last season in the final game, um, and he did start the season pretty well. I mean, he's not he's not been as involved in the last few weeks as he as he was at the start of the season. Um, but I'm wondering if that's maybe convinced him that that he should that he should sign on for a few more years. Yeah, I love uh, Gundogan. I was surprised with the talk in pre-season that he was going to go that luckily that kind of news got quashed quite quickly uh, but there were some reports saying that he was on his way uh, which was a worry I'm just wondering whether we will offer him a new deal just because of the age and obviously I would love him to and I think he's pivotal in the way we play and the way we set up I was surprised that he got made club captain because of the news around him potentially going so I didn't know how much he featured in Pep's plans and like you alluded to then he has not featured much recently um certainly not starting but you know awesome player and again a, a two-year deal wouldn't be a, too much of a out of the ordinary would it for a player of his age and quality at this stage of his career but yeah yeah i can see him moving moving on and again he would have everyone's best wishes i just think we might want younger players and players like Jude Bellingham or someone with to be interested in that type of calibre of player to replace him. It's not something coming out of the blue though, is it? Um you'd hope that we've got contingencies in place and we've um you know through all the legitimate channels have spoken to the right people and have tapped up Jude Bellingham. Or <laughs> you know <laughs> we've made inroads into into solutions because you you need to you need to cater for for that scenario should it happen um yeah i'm kind of with ads that i wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes um but we tend to recruit pretty well so be interesting to see uh if he did go who who would come in i'd love him to stay because his game you know he might be getting on a bit but similarly to to silver um he can play for a few more years doing what he does because uh he's quite a sort of you know, he's he doesn't uh, he's not relying on pace or yeah. muscle. He's got the brain. He's got exactly, the football brain. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and like I like I'd, Guardiola always says, Adam, you know, he knows when to arrive, and that's his that's his big strength, isn't it? Yeah, that sense of a goal, and he rubs his fingers under his nose and says that that sense smell. Of it, yeah, yeah that smell. He's got a smell for goal, and yeah, he's he's just fantastic for us. And we could we could we could have a whole podcast on how much we adore Gundogan. I think he knows that as well. Yeah. Uh, right. So let's uh, have the final question. I've been looking forward to this one because Tim J on Twitter says, uh, since it's the international week, let's have your personal most embarrassing memory to do with City. I want to hear drunken mishaps or away day cock-ups. Nothing to do with City getting beat or an embarrassing performance, but something that you did that still makes you cringe. Um, who's Who wants to draw the short straw and go first on this one? <laughs> well, as I'm, I'm teetotal, <laughs> so there's nothing really drunk. And it's weird my actual most embarrassing moment at a football match with a, with a kind of a city tinge, but not as much. So I'll use it and see if it's valid. Basically where I used to work, we had a box at old Trafford, dare I say it. And we used to entertain clients in this box. And I was at one game and it was Arsenal in the FA cup and the box was right in the away fans. So United went one nil up and the Arsenal fans turned to this box that I was in. 
and me not being the slightest of fellows, the whole 2000 of them proceeded to call, sing that I was a fat bastard, right? <laughs> now, me trying to defuse this situation got my city season card out of my wallet as if to say, no, I'm not the enemy. Like, I'm not a United fan. I'm just here on business. And in, in presenting uh, my city uh, season ticket we it was around the time we were taking all their players off them so the you fat bastard ring, ring rang round old trafford even more so after <laughs> that point uh, much to my dismay and my big bright red face in in the uh, in the away end there so that's kind of my most embarrassing moment at a football match due to the lack of alcohol i, I imagine <laughs> yeah chris have you got anything that uh that, that you still look back at and go why did i do that um I mean, well, yes, but <laughs> it's not not massively to do with City, really. I don't. Well, I, I tell you what, um, I'll finish on uh, a story that I have. That's um, it, it is City related, but it's a little bit of a humble brag. So uh, I kind of I, I'm very aware of how this sounds. Um, Go for it. Our six aside team was short of a player. Um, must be about two or three months ago. Um, and so I did the thing, you know, you know, you ask around and see who's available. And uh, I asked Nader Manua and he said yes. And he came down and played for us. Um, and it was it was all going fine. We were playing top of the league. They were they were a pretty good side and, you know, we're having a right ding dong battle with them. Um, and I'd pulled me thigh. So I was very, very aware that I couldn't really kick it properly. And so I'm in goal. Um, the score was I, at this stage, about 10 minutes left, about five all. Uh, it was definitely level, and uh, Nadem basically breaks up a, a counter attack on the halfway line. A brilliant tackle, um, doesn't have anywhere to to pass it, so rolls it back to me. And I'm thinking, I've I, I've pulled my thigh here. I can't really kick this. So if I'm gonna if I need to get some distance on it, I need to hit it first time. And so I'm looking up, looking to see where I could where I can pass it, and there's not really any options. So I think I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and take a touch, and and kind of hopefully I can play it short, or you know I'll just have to grimace and and put my foot through it as best I can. And I got to put my foot on top of the ball and it rolls straight under no, my foot and, uh, and no. into the goal. And no. uh, so I basically forced Nader Manua into an own goal. Um, oh my God. And, so you've brought him out of retirement yeah. to play your top of the league clash and it rolls under your foot. Rolls under my foot. Fortunately, we did equalise, uh, oh, but, but then we lost the game in the last minute. So uh, yeah, it, uh, it didn't, didn't go quite to plan. Did he give you an ear bashing? Uh, no, he was very good about it. Actually, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, I, 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 it wasn't his fault, was it? It was absolutely not his fault. No, he did. He did in this situation. He did absolutely nothing wrong. He, he, he played it perfectly, and it was Muggins here that uh, that yeah. it up. So, so yeah, if you're listening, Nadem, I am still genuinely sorry and embarrassed about that one. Um, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. I'm David Mooney. Thanks as ever to Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much for having me, and to Adam Carter. Pleasure as always. Join me again next week to look ahead to the Manchester Derby. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Aguero for me will never, ever be topped just because, you know, it was United as well and it was the last minutes where you thought it had totally gone. As soon as the first one went in, there was probably a little bit of hope against Villa. Um, but, but yeah, just, just an unbelievable day again. So in the 10 years between those moments, I'd gone to university in Nottingham, I'd got on the BBC Sport trainee scheme and been sent up to Edinburgh, lived in Glasgow, for that reason, because I'd lived all over the UK, I had to give up my season ticket. And my friend, who I did have a season ticket with, Zach, has been similar. He's been living in Birmingham. And I tweeted earlier in the week, just out of pure hope, asking if there was any spares going for the Villa game. And to my surprise, I woke up on Sunday morning to a DM from some random guy on Twitter offering me two tickets for £200 total, which... Is steep, of course it's steep for yeah. a football match. In hindsight, it's priceless. So I did my due diligence. I bought the tickets off him and I went with Zach. Uh, he took the other ticket. So the last game that we'd been to together was weirdly the 13-14 title winning game against West Ham on yeah, the final yeah. day of the season. 
So it was nice. It felt a bit poetic. I was also at, uh, you know, the QPR game with Zach as well. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>